so earlier I took the liberty of actually going through the Christmas songs I like. And not just like would think it's fine, but the ones I would actually like actively listen to, like rather than just would hear in passing. Mm. And just a quick count, one, two, it's uh, ten. There are ten in total. That's a good amount. Which, yeah, I mean, like, I think if you take into account all the jazz standards that you get at Christmas time, and then obviously all the all the songs that came out in you know, popular music, and then all the covers of those various songs, and how people like Michael Bublé started the whole, like, you can just do covers at Christmas, and, like, they don't necessarily have to be about... I don't think they're always Christmas songs, but just that kind of sentiment. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, maybe in our household, there's a... It's like that thing of, uh, yeah, like a certain singer. Uh, I mean, I know that, uh, yeah, Michael Bublé is one of them. And then, like, I know Rod Stewart did it a couple of a couple of years of running. And well, f- he he did the Great American Songbook. Yeah, he? and what's the other one? Fucking Daniel O'Donnell or something. Yeah, they just sort of, like, they're like these old dinosaurs that, like re-emerge from the lake uh, around Christmas time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they just put an album out of just them singing, like you say, the old the old classics. But, you know, fair play to them because like, elderly people buy that stuff. And uh, Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to come on to that, actually. The, um, there's a great album that we love in our house, which is Robbie Williams. I think it's I think it's Sing When You're Winning. Is it Swing When You're Winning? No, Swing When You're Winning is... Oh, my stupid rotism makes me say winning. Swing when you're winning, and it's him. Apart from one song, it's him doing like all sorts of jazz covers. Uh, so like, um, I think he also collaborates with like okay, like on one song he collaborates with Rupert Everett. I think he collaborates. I, I can't remember who else. I, I'll have to. I haven't got the, the album in front of me, so we'll have to have a look later. But again, that, that's the thing I've got a soft spot for. Even like the, all the songs are really quite old, like in terms of being written. But like it's still, I don't know. It's still nice to have those versions. It's also really weird that the recording of of Beyond the Sea, like they for some reason didn't like stop the tape, and so the song length is actually about twenty one minutes. But the actual singing only goes on for about three or four, and then it just goes on for whatever reason. It's not. It's not. I don't think it's like a, a clever Beatles move. I think it was just an error. Is it just? Is it just the rest part, of it like silence? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even like them packing away i'm not really listening to it i feel like i just i wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to like sit to sit to silence you might sit in silence and not have anything on but you wouldn't want to just play silence you like well i guess people play john cage's what four minutes 36 or whatever it is they still would play that yeah Um, i like uh i like beyond the sea but it's mostly because it reminds me of bioshock oh yeah i I actually i played that recently and i thought it was pretty pretty damn good yeah i I know it's like it was again the camp it's a game that came out ages ago, but I, I did very much like it. Now, how did I get? How did we get onto this? Oh yeah, it was um, Christmas covers. It was Christmas covers. There's also been the trend. I think particularly I noticed it in about 2016, where like lots of celebrities who aren't normally singers make a Christmas album. And I think in one year there was. I might be wrong about this, but I think Bradley Walsh released an album like of covers which i think was actually in terms of physical copies the best selling album of that year wow. not total but physical but physical copies and that's is exactly the as you said it's the old people buying it like oh it's bradley walsh off the telly yeah, fair play. doing the songs that i fair know play, which yeah that's fair enough i think nick knowles released one that year maybe might have been the year after he did covers he did a cat stevens song 
on I think is the opening track, which sort of horrified me somewhat because I really like Cat Stevens. Was it uh, well, Yusuf as he as Yusuf as he's, as now, he's known. now known? Was it uh, was it Hey Baby Shift That Log? <laughs> <laughs> no, did you listen to that? I haven't, but I will. I should because uh, okay. That... I mean, it's not. I don't think it's a good one. I think it's on um, it's on the new Masters album, which I think when I listen to it, I vowed not to listen to it ever again. The cover of First Cut is the deepest is good. Yeah, that's but a good like, song. But shift that log. It, it just makes me think like, come on, do a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's exactly. what it makes me. I think even though it's actually about wanking, but it just makes me think of just someone shaking themselves. But it is about something. It's about something coming out of someone's, out of one of their ends. It's just a question of whether yeah, it's the, exactly. coming out the front end or the back end. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think in one instant, the log is the instrument. But anyway, the other oh. person I was thinking of who released a Christmas album is Jason Manford. But yeah, that that oh kind God. of you get the idea you get the I idea know that, uh what's it did one but it's because he has a legit good voice uh alexander armstrong did i think did an album oh, yeah i've not i mean i've not listened to the only one i listened to is the nick knowles one just because it's like oh this will be funny and it was i think I, it was just kind of fine it's obviously one of these things you don't touch ever again but you know it's just to get an opinion it's like me reading reading twilight it's uh just to get an opinion right. really not necessarily for any sort of like oh i love poorly written um american teenage novels no it was it was purely to get an opinion but would you like me this this might be a bit boring but i mean listicles seem to have their place in the world today but would you like me in no particular order to go through these songs yeah go go for I've it got listed now this is gonna sound a bit strange but uh one song i do really like is santa baby again i just think it's quite funny i don't know if you're familiar with that. uh yes yeah i do i believe i know that one yeah i know there's like well, I was going to say it's a bit naff. Like, Christmas songs are naff. That's kind of... I think one of the, the only thing that Love Actually gets right is that Christmas songs are kind of solid gold shit a lot of the time. And that's kind of the point. They're not meant to be, like, too intense. Although, that being said, I like the Christmas songs that have sort of a story to them. Mm. So, like, for example, Fairy Tale of New York. I really like that yeah. one. Lonely This Christmas. I like that yeah, that's one. Yeah, that's one Again, of my favourites, actually. Yeah, they've big both fan got of, uh, stories. Big fan of Mud. Too. I don't know much else about, uh, as in I don't know much else of the back catalogue of Mud. Have you, have you listened to much? Yeah, of it? I mean, well, it's Tiger Feet, which is the other huge one. But they did a song called uh, "The Secrets That You Keep" that's really good. Um, but I just, li- Fair enough, I, give, I just I'll... like them because they're kind of they um, they were part of this like movement of seventies uh, artists that were like almost like nineteen fifties doo wop revival. And I know that Mud, oh, okay. Mud were one of them, and then you also had like Shawadi Wadi. But it was interesting how that sort of came about because I'm, I'm a big fan of like 50s music. But it was interesting how, how it all had a bit of a resurgence in the 70s. I think also in the, at least I know from my mum that she was involved in the mod revival, just talking about 70s revivals. So, like when I think it was very much in coinciding when the film Quadrophenia came yeah. out. I think it was 1979 that came out. Yeah. I've not seen it, but it's like good. The, the, that whole, yeah, the whole like getting, you know, thin ties, the jam obviously being like a mod revival band. That sort of, I think it's kind of, kind of post-punk, but probably more mod revival. But also, yeah, like zooming about in a Vespa. I mean, I don't think, I don't think the, like bringing knives to Brighton Beach really came about again in the seventies. I'm not sure. I'll ask my mum if, if the sort of the, the threat of violence. I don't think that was a thing, wasn't it? That there were occasional actual scuffles between mods and rockers. Yeah, well, that's kind of what it's all about. Like in Quadrophenia, like yeah, one of the climactic scenes is like the main character goes to Brighton to like because it's this huge thing, and uh, yeah, it ends up being like turning into like a massive sort of riot. 
police getting involved and everything. And uh, yeah, there's, it's a running theme throughout the film, though, is like the idea of, um, yeah, fighting and sort of violence. Yeah, I'd, like, yeah, it's a good point. I don't really know how accurate it is, to be honest. Carrying on down the list. Uh, now, this is a song I used to not like at all, but then I've grown to like it. I think just because I sort of find a degree of enjoyment from like the 70s Christmas song. So because, like the kind of glam rock era, but it kind of suits. So you don't feel like it's a complete detraction from what they no- like a band normally does, which uh, you might be able to guess. But the song I'm talking about is I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. By Wizard, yeah. That, I, I do like that now just because it's sort of, you, you kind of get on board with the glammy campness of it, I think, anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I can't really weigh in because I'm, I'm a big fan of Wizard just anyway. So, um, yeah, like, I uh, I love it. I've always loved it. But, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's it, yeah, they sort of just go all out with, like, the glab side of things. I'm pretty sure Roy Wood, who is, I think, the frontman for Wizard, was also a member of Slade, who obviously did Merry Christmas Everybody, which, again, I like. I know, again, that's very naff, but I think that's sort of different enough from a lot of the stuff that's more recent. I know, obviously, everybody knows. I don't think he was in. Again, I don't think he was in Slade. He was in the. He was in the move. Oh, okay. I'll have to look this up later. Yeah. I think isn't Voywood just been about various Midlands bands? I know. I know that he was in the move first, and then he was in ELO for a little bit when the move sort of became ELO, uh, and then he left ELO to form Wizard. Oh, okay. I've not heard of the move actually. Oh, they're uh, they're ace, really good. Basically, it's ba- I think the move is basically ELO by another name, sort of before they became ELO. But it's it's Jeff Lynn and oh, okay. uh, it's like Jeff Lynn, Bev Bevan. Uh, yeah, basically most of the people out of ELO. But the move did. Uh, have you heard California Man? I don't think that's I have. one of the most well known ones. And then they also did a tune called uh, Flowers in the Rain, which was the first song ever to be played on Radio One. And then they also oh, did wow, that's a cool little fact. Blackberry Way. Yeah, no, nah, they're really good. No, nah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to listen to that because, like, already just just doing a quick look at Wikipedia look is like, oh, this actually looks pretty great. Like, was a precursor to ELO and Wizard. Like, why not? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who told me, but I think the Beatles or someone of the Beatles said that ELO had a sound which the Beatles sort of thought. Well, if if the Beatles carried on into the seventies, they would have kind of sounded similar. Which I thought, oh, this thought was quite interesting. You kind of hear and kind of go, oh, I guess I could see that, you know, how the, the derivative of sort of at least the more Paul McCartney-based songs. And particularly, like, if you hear some of the Wings stuff, it is kind of whimsical and kind of a bit more poppy. Mm. Oh, yeah, next on my list is Elton John's Step Into Christmas. Although it's not much of a story. It's a bit vague, but, like, I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's a bit more instrumentally deep than uh, some of the other Christmas songs. Next on the list, I think the first time I encountered this one was, I think it was at primary school. Well, we had junior school because primary was our primary schools were split into an infant junior school. But th- around about that age, uh, I think we sang it in like a school play or something around the nativity. It was a uh, Christopher's a spaceman came traveling. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I yeah, I think I was listening back to it. So it was actually weirdly prog rocky. I don't know when it was made, but again, it it has a. I know, obviously, like everyone knows the fucking Jesus story, but it it makes a sort of new degree of epicness. It's kind of like the opening theme to Life of Brian. It kind yeah, of yeah, a little bit. In the way, it also uh, is similar to Life of Brian in the way that it mixes uh, aliens and outer space in with <laughs> yeah, uh, very biblical good. stuff. Very good. Speaking of the seventies, I think it was the seventies. This was released. Uh, next is well, in just this random order, 
is Greg Lake's I Believe in Father Christmas. Yeah, that's another classic. And again, Greg Lake, who was in King Crimson, I think, at first. He was, yeah, and at least for the first album. Yeah, in The Court of the Crimson King is, mwah, is like, that's the sort of the prog nerd coming out on me. But like, I mean, like, yeah, all, all prog is a bit, it's a little bit unbearable, but that's kind of the point of it. Like, I think on the, I don't on, think, on uh, the scale of things, I think King Crimson, that first album in The Court of the Crimson King is, uh, is I, I think that's quite accessible. Uh, to be honest, I I, yeah. I mean I haven't really gotten into Emerson Lake and Palmer. I think I heard I I, I heard a bit of I, could I heard not, like yeah. a bit of Brain Salad, but I think I couldn't get through uh, the cover of Jerusalem. Uh, I was like, yeah, like way too much for me. Uh, but I'm not really a prog is, guy to be honest. You like Pink Floyd, right? The T's said, you know, you, we're both fans of Pink Floyd. Yeah, right? I like Pink Floyd, but again, I prefer the Pink Floyd stuff that's just like a bit more like just good rock. Uh, again, I'm not really like a fan of their. Um, I'm not a fan of their earlier stuff that was like the sort of the proper sixties. The Sid Barrett stuff, I don't really like any of that. I'm I'm more of a fan of the. Uh, oh, okay. Basically, yeah. the album uh, Metal. Basically, that album onwards is kind of like my. Yeah, that that's about the same for me. Metal. Then I actually. I'm going to brag a little bit. I took up an opportunity because I found a site. I don't know if it's still going. Have a look. It's called One Week, One Band. And essentially, you can write to the editor, show that you've got some sort of writing credentials. At that point, mine was literally just the student newspaper at UOB, the University of Birmingham. I shouldn't use like localised acronyms here. Yeah, so I emailed over those sort of details and said I want to write about Pink Floyd for a week and the idea is that you just take over the Tumblr blog for a week and post how often you want how many ever posts you want whatever sort of style you want and I just went through the chronology of Pink Floyd which was like half of it was good <laughs> right and it's also it, it was nice to cement it with the eventually going to the Pink Floyd exhibition in London I think it was at the V&A but yeah that was really good I think I tried to sneak in with someone's V&A pass, but like I think that day they were particularly on it, so I sort of bottled it. Anyway, I, but I, I paid. That's fine. Yeah, I also watched the the I think I think his name is Bobby Schroeder, the films that he directed, which are both soundtrack by Pink Floyd. Uh, both of which are quite weird films. The sort of the, the only one that's memorable is because it's kind of grim. I can't, I can't remember the fucking names of them, but yeah, Obscured by Clouds was the second soundtrack but i think they had to change the name because they eventually fell out with the director so they had to release that music under something else just as pink floyd or something like that but yeah then yeah medal was scared by clouds and then obviously the the four bangers of the 70s obviously from dark side to the wall and then from then some then forward it's quite painful listening from what i remember well you know i found the division bell mm. i've got a division bell mug I mean, isn't this the story where you had a mug with the album cover of Animals, and then that broke, yeah. and then the replacement got you got was not really replaced. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah that yeah I got uh, Division Bell was the uh, was the replacement. Yeah, I, I need to buy a new Animals mug because that is yeah that's probably my favourite. If I haven't said before, that's my favourite Pink Floyd album. Yeah, fair fair play. Uh, what's next on the list? Did did that one? Uh, Indulge Jubio. Uh, sorry, I'll say that again. In Dolce Jubilio. Mike Oldfield. By Mike Oldfield. Yep, classic. Yep. Yeah, I only re listened to Chibia Bells like about four or so years ago. He did that when he was fucking 19 years old. I didn't know that. That's insane. Uh, yeah, no. And so I think he was 
the guy that kind of launched Virgin Records, which uh, I think he had a hand in Richard Branson's Millions. Wow. Yeah, there we go. And then last on the list was actually a song I've recently come to like. And again, I've not seen the relevant show ever, but in a weird way I'd like to, even though it's a children's show. And again, it's kind of that glam rock kind of anything goes. It's all quite silly. You could probably guess the song. Uh, it's Wombling Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Again, I just like Ma- that. Mike Bat. Who's that? So I, don't, I don't know the that's name. That's Mike Bat. That, that's him singing, and he wrote the song. I mean, is he famous for anything else other than the Wombles? Uh, he's a pretty famous songwriter. He uh, he did a song called Summertime City that I really like. Uh, but he also, I believe he wrote uh, he wrote Bright Eyes, the, the song from Watership Down that Art Garfunkel sings. Oh, okay. But yeah, Mike Bart, he was like, a, yeah, he's just a 70s uh, singer-songwriter. But he uh, he sung and wrote the Wombles songs. I believe another one was called Remember You're a Womble. I think I'd like to sort of watch older children's shows just to see if, like, what kind of sort of techniques have carried forward and then what is now, like, what makes today's kids' programmes a lot of schlock. I think it'd just be interesting. Yeah, definitely. But I've, um, I'll have i ask you about any favourites of yours that I might have missed on that list, but just very quickly, I think, I'm not sure which is the worst Christmas song between... I think it's probably going to be All I Want For Christmas Is You, which I, bleh, that's just... I think it's so overplayed. I, I don't think I know. Everyone knows it's overplayed. But even then, it's like, if you're going to overplay a song, I mean, that's probably like... That is the one to do it, and then so even before it's overplayed, you know it's going to be overplayed. Yeah, no, yeah, fair. Does that make fair sense? Enough. And then the other two I put as potential worst songs are "Mistletoe and Wine" and "Wonderful Christmas Time." Uh, yeah, just, what by uh, by Wings? I don't know. I don't like them. Oh, I really, I really like that one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not fair enough. Yeah, I thought I thought you might just as soon as, as I mentioned. I think I, I, that's probably going to be a little bit more divisive. But are there any songs? I don't know if you've got any favourites that I've not mentioned. Yeah, uh, probably my favourite Christmas song is uh, Christmas Rapping by The Waitresses. I quite like that one, actually. I was, I was listening to that recently. It's like, oh, actually, you can... Maybe it's just because I've got more of an ear for music. I'm bragging again. But you can hear quite a lot of the rock instruments in it, which I thought was, was quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, I really like that's, that's something that's more of a... St- yeah, that's more of a story again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, like... it, again, fair point. It is a sort of a, a song that actually tells a decent story. Um, God, what other ones? Um, oh, I like the one by The Darkness. I forget what it's called. Oh yeah, I forget that. Exists. That's a good one. Is it Don't Let the Bells Ring or something like that? Yeah, I think that's what it's. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I quite like Winter's Tale by David Essex. I've. I was listening to that and I did recognise it. And I think I, I was listening to it and I decided, oh, I could just listen to other David Essex songs. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so I don't know. I think that was just the decision. Like, I mean, I only really know I'm going to make you a star and rock on. He did. Quite uh, different, but still Have good. you heard Oh, What a Circus? I don't think it's so. It's a song from uh, the musical Evita. I think that's the other one he was, he was going uh, for. Oh, okay. And also the Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. You know, he sings in that. He's the uh, he's the artilleryman in that. Now, I think I got a copy of that as a present when I was quite young, and I put it on. And then I think it, it is the one that goes that has a song going. The chance of anything coming from miles a million to one. Is it That's that the one? one? Yeah, I had I heard that, and then I was like, nope, too scared. Yeah, same with me. It used to really frighten me, but I like sort of uh, yeah, I got sort of really into it. No, I've only encountered more the worlds fully. 
with the Steven Spielberg film, which is shit. To be fair, I actually thought that when I first saw it, but then we rewatched it, and I actually really like it now. I actually think it's a, I actually think it's a really sort of interesting adaptation of the original story because it's like if you know the original story, it's nice to sort of see how whoever wrote that ver- whoever wrote the Spielberg version sort of changed stuff and how certain characters become other characters. But maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just because I really love the source material and I'm like I'm willing to overlook some of the uh, willing to overlook some of the shortcomings. But I um I really like the the Spielberg War of the Worlds. But it did it did take several watches to kind of sort of like come around to it. But um it's also <clears throat> I like it more so as well because it's a uh, as far as War of the Worlds adaptations, it's very much the best of a bad bunch. The 1950s version is terrible, and then I think the only other version that's been is like last year, like last Christmas, they did a BBC One adaptation, and that was really poor as well. Like that one really annoyed me because I've been looking forward to that and like was quite excited and like had some decent-ish actors in it. And it was like, oh yeah, the BBC are doing like a proper a proper big budget adaptation of War of the Worlds. And it's like, we're going to throw a bunch of money at it. And uh, we're also actually, we're going to set it in Edwardian England, you know, so it was going to be authentic to the time. Uh, and it, it ended up being rubbish, <laughs> which, which was a real shame. I mean, I don't know. The, be- the best adaptation for me is the musical, like definitely the musical. And then the no- I read the novel like last year as well, and the novel's ace. Is H.G. Wells that also he wrote the War of the Worlds, but he also wrote the Time Machine, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And uh, yeah, first, I read first that Men in the Moon, and that was quite good. The Time Machine's quite good, actually. I mean, I, th- I remember seeing the film ages and ages ago, and I think the film really stretched it out because it's actually it's only it's a very short novel. Yeah, it's arguably a novella, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's even shorter than War of the Worlds, actually. But um. Yeah, I know that. Uh, yeah, I've, which film did you see? Did you see the 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 nineteen fifty nine one? No, I saw the. I think I saw the one that took a lot of liberties. I think was it the nineties that it came out? Always get the guy Pearce um, in it. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I've never seen that one. I've yeah, only seen yeah. the. Uh, I've only seen the old one because the old one is amazing. Actually, the felt the original time. T- I should watch the old one. Sorry, because I yeah, imagine yeah. it's. I imagine it's more loyal to the text because the text is so short and it's it's very much just in that single world in the future, isn't it? It's it's whereas the nineties film tends to I think I think it still goes forward, but it sort of has several stops before the end. So I think it's it really stretches out the plot. Oh, I see. From what okay. I remember, I might have to watch it again. I mean I will probably yeah, the list will only ever get longer. I won't even put a dent in the list of things to consume culturally. Are there any other songs? I know I'm sort of putting you on the spot here. Uh, are there any other songs that we might have forgotten? I'm just having to think now, just like what my usual... Oh, uh, I'll tell you what's a really good one. Stop the Cavalry by uh, Jonah Louis. I think I know that one. Yeah, it's the World War... Well, I'd say it's like the World, it's like the World War II theme song. It's like sung from the perspective of a soldier. Is it World War II? I always thought I, I always know, thought yeah. it was World War One, uh, but then the opening to the song, you said, the opening lyric is, Hey, Mr. Churchill. So uh, oh, okay. it must be two, but yeah. So stop the cavalry. That's really good. I quite like. Pi- I've now I got- quite like pipes of peace, which is the other Paul, which is the other Paul McCartney Christmas song. I don't know if I've listened to that actually. I've now got um, Mr. Churchill said by the Kinks in my head. I mean, like I know we said. I mean, Christmas songs. It's nice. The Christmas songs are a, a jumping point to talk about late sixties, early seventies music that isn't Christmas songs. But yeah. I, I am still going off tangentially in my head. Also, it, other stuff might come up as we talk about other things, or at least 
with the one of the other two things which you, you mentioned. Now, something my mum was asking was like, how is it possible to watch Die Hard because I think it's on Sky Cinema? Now, I've not seen Die Hard, but she was asking because she's heard it's a Christmas film. Now, can you confirm that the idea of it being a Christmas film is in fact a joke by your average Joe because it's actually vaguely set around Christmas and it's actually, you can just say it's a Christmas film to stop having to watch Love Actually or Last Christmas or anything else. Yeah, uh, no, I take it very seriously. Uh, Die Hard, it is a Christmas film. I mean, it's set at Christmas. The whole thing takes place at like an office Christmas party. Not only that, the actual soundtrack to the film is actually incredibly sort of Christmassy sounding. It's basically um, the set. The, the film score is like a. It's an original piece of like you know action esque music, but it's kind of wrapped around uh, Ode to Joy, you know the Beethoven. Okay. Beethoven's is it Ninth Symphony? The, also the uh, a big instrument in the score for the film during like really tense scenes is actual sleigh bells. So, like, they actually use sleigh bells in the soundtrack to the film. I think, like, the film's insanely Christmassy. Like, and it has, like, loads of Christmas... I, the, I don't understand people that say it isn't a Christmas film because the film itself has so much about Christmas in it that, like, I don't understand people's argument when they say, oh, but it's not a Christmas film. I'm like, well, it is, though, because you, you couldn't not set it at Christmas and it have, like, the same effect at all. Like, there's so many sort of iconic scenes that have, like, you know christmas references and like witty lines and stuff so yeah no i'd say it is it is a christmas film also you need you need to watch it please make sure this is the christmas that you watch die hard because uh i think i think i will do because even if my mum's brought it up before me do you know what i mean like that i mean that's me claiming to enjoy films yeah i'll 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 feed that back because i was generally convinced that the whole it being a christmas film was a joke to kind of like i said around christmas so please can we not watch i don't know like christmas on a wet snowflake again I, it's not that's not a film i just made that it up. might well be a film <laughs> it could very well be a film my mum just seems to have she's sort of spending the days just going through like crap christmas films maybe it's sort of make i don't know if she's not telling me about a complex to try and make her feel high and mighty but well, maybe I'm, i mean i've maybe never it's seen gen- love actually and i probably never will so uh yeah like i'm i can't really kick off at people who uh who like certain films or haven't seen certain films because I haven't I haven't seen that. I think I watched Love Actually and by the end of it I had about sixteen beers. That's all right, I suppose. I think that was but that was by the end of the day. That was Christmas Day. I'd watched that thing. I think it was Christmas Day. Like when everyone else has sort of gone to bed, I just sort of watched that. And I think when I was younger, it was just like, oh, isn't this cute? And then like you get older, and it's like, no, it's all really wrong. It's all really bad behaviour from men again in a whole menagerie of ways with a whole menagerie of Richard Curtis cast. Now the thing is Richard Curtis is someone I like. Like he like things like Blackad and the Vic of Dibley like were like were quite influential for me for like, you know, wanting to do comedy or you know, like or something creative anyway. Yeah, I find that and I then, find like, that really interesting though, because like I really, really despise uh Richard Curtis. I like I just I I really detest like all of his films because essentially I think they're all the same. And like, I mean, Vicar Dibley, I just don't find it funny. Like, my my mum absolutely loves it. I think it's got good people in it. Like, I think Dawn French is really, really talented. Like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like French and Saunders and like the stuff that they they also did with Comic Strip Presents. 
So it's not like the people in it are bad, but like I just really don't like Vicar Dibley. I'm not really a fan of Blackadder. Again, I just don't oh, okay. I don't really find it funny. And also I had a really weird moment the other night where I was watching a, an episode of Blackadder, I don't know what you call it, the second, whatever. Is that what it's called? Series two's called. I don't know. I think Blackadder Two. Blackadder Two or what have you. But uh there was just an episode of that where uh I think uh, Blackadder gets like kidnapped by uh either the uh Spanish or uh or the Italians. Uh, just a recurring and I mean like it was really weird because like before the episode started, like the BBC commentator said, and now with some strong like racial language, it's Blackadder. And then I was like, What Blackadder really? Because I always remember Blackadder being like a PG, as in like it's very much like kind of a you know, it's not that offensive or anything. But then like a massive chunk of the episode was just dedicated to, to Blackadder saying the word Dago. And then like every time he said it, there was like uproarious canned laughter. And I was just watching it and I was like, wow, this hasn't, uh, this has not aged well. But I don't know. I mean, maybe they were doing a bit about the time period or something, but I don't know. I don't think so. But no, I'm just like not a fan of Blackadder. I mean, I like the, uh, I think the idea is good. I like the idea of um, setting a comedy series in the past you know, and uh, using that and using sort of like actual real history to sort of generate a bunch of your gags. And also in kind of a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure way, I also do like the idea that it's kind of the same man throughout history in the sense of it's his descendants, you know, in each age, just sort of hanging out. Again, I think that's all really good, but I just don't think the writing's very good. I just find it all a bit. I don't know, like most most of Richard Curtis's stuff, I just find it insanely middle class and it's just like, I think I think the only thing I do really like about Blackadder is I like uh, what's it's really good in Blackadder the Third, Hugh Laurie as the prince or the king. As prince Regent, he's just yeah. he's he's just amazing. Like that that's a, a brilliant performance. But other than that, I'm not too fussed. I mean, what I could probably do because I've never seen the first series, so um, I, I could like maybe the first series is very different. It was written by uh, Richard Curtis and Rowan Atkinson. Oh uh, right. And Blackadder and Baldrick's roles are sort of swapped, and then. Rowan Atkinson was swapped out for Ben Eldon from the second series onwards, and then they changed it so Blackadder was smart and Baldrick was dumb. And, then that, and that's the sort of the formula that stuck. Yeah. I have an interesting memory about Blackadder because in year 10, for our post-1945 play or like, I think, yeah, sort of script that we had to do, we initially read The Crucible or like we read some of it. And then a long period of time happened between, I think it might have been like a, a holiday or so, like a yeah, Christmas holiday or something. And we didn't have the the final coursework set for it. And in a sort of a mad rush to make sure we had that piece ready before going into year 11, our English teacher at the time, like sort of went like, uh, and just suddenly she'd very quickly changed the mind. And we ended up writing our post-1945 piece on Blackadder. So... Like I, I, I got my best marks in that because I actually went on, like I was actually at the time looking at like BBC sites like comedy writing tips and sort of finding words like juxtaposition, which is very exciting for me to learn the word juxtaposition at the age of fifteen. Hmm. But I, so for me that it's, it's just quite funny that it was sort of, uh, what's a good post, uh, nineteen forty five text, uh, Blackadder, and he, I think we watched the last episode, like the one the very end of Blackadder goes forth, which is probably the best one from what I can remember, just because I think it. It's the one, I mean, the fourth series really peppers throughout just the, the sheer tragedy, primarily from the 
the stupidity of the people in command about how it was like literally the fact that they used colonial army techniques of walking towards the enemy very slowly and just shooting you know in an open field and then they turned the war the european powers turned the war machine on each other um to devastating effect i mean it's just there's so much to just fucking let's not go on about it because we could be here for a long long time going about the fuckers fucking horrors of world war one i'll tell you a film i have not seen that's christmasy i only seem to have missed the good ones which is a Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh man, that's a, that's another it. one of my favorites. It's uh oh my god, yeah. If you get time, like watch Die Hard first, but if you do get chance over the next few days or the next week, yeah, do do try and catch Muppet Christmas Carol because it's it's ace. I mean, it's something I've always been a fan of like ever since I was a kid like be, like kind of like we're doing now. Is I'd like I've always wanted to make a Christmas special of something. <laughs> right. You watch the Peep Show Christmas special, and I'm sure Vic of Dibby did a Christmas special. I, d- I think Black Adam might have done like a Christmas, like a a more f- not feature length, but like a slightly longer one, which is set around Christmas, but it's about a time machine and it's sort of like they hop through periods which they might have slightly they might have missed in the sort of the normal run of Black yeah, Adam. Yeah, I, I saw that one. And again, like yeah, it's it you can sort of have the liberty of being a bit longer. You can kind of you can always have like a happy ending. Doctor Who has obviously Christmas specials to uh, various critical rating. I stopped watching Doctor Who after I think about halfway through the one of the series of David Tennant, and yeah, I can't remember who the probably about this prob- sidekick was. That probably one. about the same for me. I mean, I remember I watched the Christopher Eccleston series and really, really enjoyed it. That's mostly because he's such a great actor. And then I watched like yeah, I watched a bunch of the David Tennant. I think I stopped watching it around the time that like Catherine Tate became the assistant, and then yeah, I just like I forget who, I forget who it was after David Tennant. Was it Matt Smith? Yeah, it was Matt Smith. So I didn't see any of any of those, and then uh, I guess the big big change then was what's it wasn't it then to Peter Capaldi, and most recently the uh, is it Jody is it Jody Comer is that a name? Jody Whittaker. Jody Whittaker, that's it. I've not seen any of that. Well, actually, no, tell a lie. I think I saw one and thought it was all right. I quite like the dynamic in the Jodie Whittaker one that it's not just one assistant. It's actually like her and like a gang of four of them. Um, I actually think that works really well. I actually quite enjoyed that as a formula. It's just one of them. It's just another series where if I wanted to get into it, I'd have to go back, you know, and rewatch a load of it. And Well, not just rewatch, but like watch a load of the, you know, a load of it. And uh, I'm not really sure on like the quality of it all necessarily. I I heard somewhere it might I can't it might have even been you that told me this that I think Christopher Eccleston quit the first series of Doctor Who because I think he got to a point where obviously like he's been in a fair few things like he's pretty fucking evil you know is a good actor but pretty fucking evil in uh, Twenty Eight Days Later yeah. that's the only other role yeah, that we've he's, seen he's in it. That, but that's yeah. horrible yeah, he is yeah horrible. that's horrible but apparently he kind of knew sort of Alec Guinness style that he would be primarily famous for being the doctor and he kind of didn't want that yeah i think that's that's right he didn't um he said he didn't want to be uh he didn't want to be typecast uh which is fair enough and he's he's done all right since as well he's he's um he was in uh this drama series on bbc2 you might have heard of called the a word uh rings of bear yeah that was really good uh he's in that and he's in uh yeah, he's been in a bunch of pretty decent stuff since. Uh, but, I mean, one of my favourite roles, again, was what he did in the 90s. He's in uh, Danny Boyle's... Well, it's funny because it's same director as 28 Days Later, but uh, Danny Boyle did um, 
his first film called a Sh- uh, called Shallow Grave, and he's in that, and he's he's ace in that. That's interesting that Christopher Eccleston is actually, you know, like there are actors who are probably part of a director's normal like calling list, essentially. Yeah. And it's, it's nice that Chris Ferguson has that kind of association because, again, like, you know, we know clearly he was right because he, he does, you know, it's better to not be known as that one acting role. In a sense, like Alec Guinness supposedly really resented playing Obi Wan Kenobi after a while. Yeah, because like I that think was, it's also because that, that put him on the international stage because he was originally like a Ealing comedy actor. Yeah, and in um, the same way, a lot of like I think he also. I think the other big thing about it was I think he just didn't like Star Wars as a, as an idea. I don't I don't think he liked the the script or anything like that. You know, he I think he had like no interest in the actual work itself. I think he sort of just acted in it just cause I guess they probably just gave him really good money. So I suppose that's why he res- resented it as well. I mean, he he was still I think a lot of English actors, particularly the ones that did Ealing comedies, were still jobbing actors for a lot of their lives. But mind you, the only Alec Guinness film that I've seen that isn't the first ever Star Wars is the original version of The Lady Killers, which is a proper lesson in like classic comedy. If you want something where like the like if you imagine there's a central point in the film and then jokes that are distance X from the from the beginning of the film to the middle are then paid off the same, like almost like an angle of incidence, if that makes sense. But like it's a perfect like concertina in terms of like jokes happening that's what i think anyway but if you haven't have a watch of it it's i mean it, it might be a bit it might be very dated in terms of it being a straight comedy but like it's it's a, such a bizarre premise as well yeah my uh it's one of my mum's favorite films so i do it's on it's on my list and my mum's my watched a few of the uh a few of the ealing comedies so i should probably get on them and give them a watch now, you're much more of a film expert than I am. Are there any Christmas films you'd recommend? Because I probably haven't seen them. Um, oh, man. Again, off the top of my head. Um, just briefly going back to A Muppet's Christmas Carol, the other reason I think you should watch that is because on top of it being The Muppets, who are just awesome anyway, it's actually just a really, really good version of the original story. Uh, you know, you know, sort of dis- despite the fact that a half of the cast are puppets, a testament to the quality of the film is like you kind of forget if you know what I mean, because uh, because you so you actually get really into it. But that's brilliant though, isn't it? If that's like rather than it being like we live in a world of puppets, it kind of, I think we we're talking about BoJack Horseman at some point yeah. and saying like it becomes irrelevant that they're animals. It's just like it it just happens to be a framing device for certain jokes. Yeah, basically. But then and, like on the whole, and that's what makes it good. How in the Muppets Christmas Carol, yeah, because they, they don't they just don't address it. And it's also good for if you're a fan of the original story and you know all the characters, it's kind of interesting because you sort of think to yourself, oh, well, who's going to be, which characters are going to be a Muppet and which ones are going to be, you know, actual actors. But it uh, it also does some neat stuff that I didn't like necessarily get as a kid, but I really appreciate now that I'm older is like the constant, like, breaking the fourth wall. Because a, a, big, a big joke is uh, is that, uh, so you're kind of guide through the story again, which like the story doesn't really need. Although when you read the original short story, Dickens does sort of does sort of feature as an omniscient narrator, and he kind of is your guide because there's, there's loads of bits in the story where like Dickens addresses you, the reader. So the Muppets do a kind of a similar thing where they do address you, the viewer, but instead of your guide being Charles Dickens, your guide is a uh, Gonzo and uh, Rizzo the Rat. But Gonzo's dressed up in well, they're both dressed up in period dress, and there's like plenty of recurring jokes where like 
even though they're sort of taking you through and talking directly to the camera, they'll get like knocked over by like characters in the scene. So it's quite good how they're kind of occupying the two worlds. Also, uh, Gonzo insists on being called Mr. Dickens because he's, he's meant to be playing Charles, Charles Dickens. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, weirdly, at least the first and fifth chapters of A Christmas Carol was, again, another topic in my year 10 English assessments. This is strange how they're sort of coming up together. Oh, right. I mean, we are talking about Christmas. Up is Christmas Carol. I must watch that. Because, yeah, I think I, as I've gotten older, I'm now more into things like puppets. Obviously, the whole of the whole, like, jim henson kind of like sort of armatures and whatnot because again i think it's just like how do you kind of come up with half these characters because a lot of them aren't even real animals i think they're just like things yeah definitely with um, the muppets yeah uh some of them are just yeah like what like what is what is beaker i mean i don't know half of them by name oh fine and again that's a question to you the audience oh we see yeah um there's no cash money for answering that it's just just something to think about now christmas films i need to see I know I'm putting it on your spot, but it's a wonderful life. You've um, seen that, haven't you? I haven't actually. Oh my, my mum watched it, so my mum is outdoing <laughs> me in terms of Christmas film progress. That's another amazing. That's another amazing one. I'd like highly, highly recommend that one. That's like uh... I think that's like I think that might be like the top rated film on like comedies on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh God! I mean, it's not really a comedy, but uh, it's more of a I don't know. It's more of a, a tearjerker, I suppose. I don't know, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's a wonderful life. Definitely get on that. That's like a cla- a classic, but but like justifiably so. Like it's really really well acted from Jimmy Jimmy Stewart. It's sort of really really well well written, and uh, the actual concept for the film's really cool and quite ahead of its time. But it also kind of owes a debt to a Christmas Carol because it does a similar thing with like the story. Uh, so you can kind of see the inspiration there, but it does something quite different. Oh man, any other Christmas films? I saw a Disney version of A Christmas Carol. They sort of did 3D animation and they did, uh, I think at least in the cinema and I was relatively young when I saw it, they did quite well in terms of some of the creepiness of it. Yeah, is that the Jim Carrey one? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that one's not bad. Um, After reading the short story, it's actually out of everything, it's the most accurate to the original short story. Yeah, because Jacob Marley actually comes in with shackles which is part of the original text. And I think the original text can be quite creepy. It is, yeah, yeah. Although now a Christmas Carol seems to be the thing that Labour ministers give to Conservative ministers around this time to say, oh, have you read this? It's about the struggles of the poor. <laughs> One of the debates at the last general election, someone ended the night, instead of actually asking anything political, they asked... What would you what would you give each other for Christmas? And all the audience went, ah, and everyone else who was watching it with went, fuck off. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think also people were messaging going like a fucking wet blanket. Like I mean, I, I guess like it was he meant well, but it's not time. One of my favourite versions of a Christmas carol was I don't know if you've listened to much of I'm sorry I haven't a clue, but I've got a fair few tapes of I'm sorry I haven't a clue. And one of their Christmas versions was they did a version of, uh, I'm sorry, no, they did a version of A Christmas Carol. And the lead character is always played by Humphrey Littleton, who's like a, a jazz trumpeter, I think. And But he always hosted, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, for pretty much for most of its series until he died. But he played the character of Ebenezer Scrumpf in a similar way that he played Humph when he was playing the Easter 
special of Humph in Wonderland. But again, I'm a bit of a sucker for those sorts of things. And obviously it works really well because on the radio you can be pretty much anywhere you want to be just with the help of sound effects. I've never been a listener of BBC Radio 4. At my old job, one of the people I worked with, she was a really big fan of... Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Yeah, so I've, I've kind of come across a bit of it. But there were quite a few Radio 4 listeners, I think, at that place. What is it? Is it like a game show? It is like a panel show. They call it the antidote to panel games. Ah, right. Where, yeah, they have like... There they used to be like a consistent panel, but then I think Willie Rushton died. And then they had a recurring guest... And then Humphrey Littleton died. And I think Jack D took over as host. I can't remember. There might have been a rotating host. I'm not sure. But yeah, there's a normally a... They sort of have their own kind of concoctions as part of the game. They might do all sort of slight variants on normal games. So they might do speaking charades. Obviously, on the, it doesn't, charades doesn't work on the radio. But like they might act out a little sketch to then help the other team guess the film or book or whatever rather than obviously doing miming that that kind of thing and they also do one song to the tune of another as an example like it ranges from like quite naff and silly to sort of quite like clever in a sort of like the goodies-esque way and i say the goodies because half the cast was tim brooke taylor rest in peace and graham garden who were both there were two goodies along with bill oddie i don't know if you have have you talked about the goodies yet i feel like i have but i feel like i've talked about everything in my life ever i know of them i mean my my parents remember it from when they, uh you know from when they were kids or maybe not even when they were kids maybe no no i think, they, I think yeah they, well monty monty python called them a kids program so that gives you an idea of what it's not a kids program at all but like that's what monty python thought the goodies who were kind of making stuff at a similar time and a lot of them were contemporaries of at Cambridge, anyway. I remember seeing like a clip of the goodies that was like really, really racist. Um, it was on like a. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Def- it is definitely racist. I was on. It was on a. There was a whole episode a clip, about a clip show basically that was on recently that was called. It was called "It Was Alright in the Seventies," and basically it's like just taking the most racist clips from the seventies and showing them to the people that made them now to sort of see the reactions, you know? Because it's like an example is like they showed. Uh, they showed the music video to the song Melting Pot to the guy who uh, sang it. Um, but he was still like, uh, he's still a big believer that there's nothing wrong with that song. even though there's... I, I don't know it, but I imagine I won't like it just based on that. I think I think if you I bet... if you listen to it, you might, uh, I think you might cringe so hard that like, you'll go into like an, an- afraid, you know, like... Go into, like an anti-cringe where like the muscles in your head will like turn inside out. Uh, you should still probably listen to it. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking, like, you know how in a cartoon and someone eats a lemon? Yeah, sort of yeah face exactly. It's, like, <laughs> it's that, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. I, met, I bet my dad would watch that kind of thing and beam from fucking ear to ear. Well, that's it, like, isn't it? Like, it's, you know, it, that was considered, like, acceptable and funny back then. But, uh, yeah, it was enough of me to see it that, like, to go, yeah, no, nah, I, I don't need to watch this. I reckon that clip for the goodies was from the episode where they kind of make fun of apartheid. I think it is, you know. Yeah, th- that sounds likely because it does feature a character who doesn't like anything black to the extreme of like, he doesn't have black tinted lenses on his sunglasses. He has white tinted lenses and obviously would never drink a black coffee. So he just essentially drinks milk. But then there's this whole like, this whole sort of mirroring thing where they there's suddenly an apartheid in the UK against short people as well. So it's like, I think it's pretty... It might have even been, even been tone deaf then for like 
people campaigning for the anti-apartheid movement because there's still like movements that believe in the 70s some of which were think some of which included at the, the university of birmingham back in the 70s so i think we're just bragging and sort of like cheering on our on mater even though well you are <laughs> i haven't said anything i i am yeah <laughs> i am yeah that's for it sure. is a good university i did enjoy my time there yeah i mean universities have pretty consistent problems everything from boom bookings to poor treatment of mental health or rather the bare minimum often too late or in are very much reactive rather than proactive i realize that we are coming up to an hour which would then make this quite a bumper episode so you mentioned about talking about the christmases of yesteryear and i was thinking about this and a lot of my christmas memories are me being a spoilt little brat and like secretly going away and going like it's the wrong one (laughs) of whatever it was like genuinely and it's just it is kind of i won't say painful because it makes it sound really dramatic but like i i mean i remember like my parents really really going to town on the whole santa thing like there'd be like reindeer fake reindeer prints through the house and like carrots nibbled off and like mince pies half eaten and like a little bit of brandy or sherry drunk, probably all by my dad. And like actual labels, so we couldn't tell it was my parents' writing. I think it got to a point where my mum just started handwriting them. And it's like, yeah, the, the, I think the facade has, if it was ever not gone, it is now completely gone. I think I believed in Santa for fucking ages, which is a bit embarrassing. I don't know why. I guess it, I was raised in, I was raised to believe in some sort of deity. So perhaps I had a sort of a mindset to believe that kind of thing, let's just say. But um, I think Christmases for me, the best Christmases have been in the last five or six years. Where we've kind of nailed it as adults. We've, kind of, but more importantly, we've established a better dynamic. And so, like now that we can kind of all have that agency to kind of say what we like, and then kind of come to an agreement on stuff, it's just so much easier. And you kind of actually focus on Christmas as a holiday rather than, you know, having to entertain your kids or like having to see family you might not like, and having to trying to satisfy yourself with a Christmas dinner that your kids probably don't like half of. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, I mean, I've always been fairly... I was always fairly lucky with uh, getting presents. Uh, uh, oh, I, I, was, I was extremely lucky with presents. I mean, I... Like, absolutely. Like, I, I was just going to say, like, but I mean more so in the sense of, like, my parents always tended to get me the right thing. So I was always very lucky. I don't think I ever had... Uh, I never had a, a, a Christmas where... I'd asked for something, and then uh, and then my parents bought me the wrong thing. I've always been really lucky. Oh, no, I mean, I'm only talking about, like, 10%, maybe 5% of the time. I mean, obviously, like, a lot of the time I was extremely lucky and being extremely accurate with what I wanted. And it's like, yeah, I kind of... I don't know, I have to forgive myself because I was a child at that point. But, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'd go back and slap him, so get some fucking perspective. But obviously, if, if time plays out Back to the Future style, then I'd probably come back more insecure because a future version of me went back to slap a younger version of me in the face about something that only future me understands the standards for to get back at but anyway talk about your christmases please uh yeah like i mean the the memories for me is just always having a uh what sort of tree would we have i think we'd have a pine I mean, we've had we've had a pine tree every year is it a pine or is it we pretty consistently have we pretty consistently have fake trees oh just right because like i think particularly we got trees when we were living in america and it's like you can't really transport plant trees mostly because you get new one every year so we've just kept 
big old plastic ones. Oh, fair. I fair think enough. one year the, we, we had a giant one, and I think our cats jumped onto it and sort of ruined it. But that's fine. Like you, you know, the cats are more important, or at least they were until one of them ran away and we had to give the other one away. I'm not talking about Christmas again. <laughs> Carry on. Sorry, no, no. Please. I was just gonna say, like, I mean, well, I mean, we uh, we live near um. Because of where I live, we live we live quite near a place called Del- Delamere Forest, and that they, with the exception of this year, they always um, did uh, Christmas trees. So it was always a big deal that we'd we'd go every year as a family and um, pick out a tree and everything, and we'd always sort of make a day of it because they'd have like all sorts of stuff there. They'd have like you know food vans and m- music playing, like you know stalls set up and stuff, but. Uh, this year, I don't know whether it's due to COVID or it might also be due to like financially, they said they weren't doing Christmas trees this year. So we had to go and find a different place to get our tree from. And I think in the end, we ended up going to it some little, it was just some little back lot in Wil- Wilmslow uh, that did trees. Uh, and we also uh, got a different tree. I think we went for a, uh, I think it might have been a spruce, spruce or a fir tree uh anyway which is different because it's a totally different style to what we normally have so that's another bit of a change but in uh the christmases of yesteryear it was always a uh it was always a, a pine i think it was a pine i'm kicking myself because i'm thinking maybe it wasn't maybe it was something else but pretty sure it was a pine tree yeah I always have that set up get that decorated uh and then christmas day itself was always come downstairs it well it was uh, many memories of me and my sister being sort of sat at the top of the stairs because my parents were downstairs getting everything ready and my dad my dad used to film every christmas it'd be him getting the camcorder uh all set up and then we'd uh we'd go downstairs and the way it would work is uh we'd go into our living room and the living room was sort of divided into two halves so all of my stuff was like to the left of to the the far left of the room and then all of my sisters was to the right so uh the way it would work is we'd go in and uh split off and then my dad would be filming and yeah he'd tell us when we could open our presents and then yeah that'd be it basically just spend the day opening the presents and uh me and my sister also had these um we've still got them <laughs> we've still got them actually i don't know if my mum will use them this year because I'm not, we're not, I mean, I'm not really getting any presents, like physical presents to open, but uh, she had these big sacks that have like, uh, you know, really sort of like nice designs on and she'd, she'd wrap up all the presents and put them in this sack. But uh, for a lot of the years when we were sort of younger, sacks didn't see much use because uh, we had that many presents that the presents would literally just cover half the room. I kind of remember being, I remember being very lucky to have that kind of thing. And so we'd have like, there's presents on the, like, by the fireplace presents in the stockings presents by another tree and it's like goodness me like yeah. i feel like at least if one of my sisters and i said have both kind of agreed or like kind of come to similar conclusion that if we both have separately obviously if we both separately have families it's like it's going to be fucking wooden toys from the get-go <laughs> like i saw i'll send you a picture if i can find it for like 200 quid i found which was essentially like a giant plastic unicorn that like is big enough for like a, a toddler to sit on about four foot off the ground. And that's all it does. And the one that was in the shop, I think it was in B and M, and the one in the shop was clearly had been sat in a warehouse for too, for too long because it was still had dust on it as if it'd been like just, just stood in the middle of the room whilst other things covered in dust were sort of moved around it. But like I think I don't know, maybe maybe that's me being able to go. I had it really lucky. 
and now <laughs> now can curse the future generations with not having that luck. Well, it's just isn't that what getting old's all about? Yeah, it's one of those though where I think like even though we had like the quantity, there was like loads of stuff. I mean, it makes sense why there was so much stuff because. I mean, it was all like, like you say, it was all toys, like, you know, so I mean, for me, it was always like, uh, I had like an extensive action men collection, you know, I'd always be getting those for birthdays and Christmas and uh, board games and uh, teddy bears and cuddly toys and stuff. So there was, there was, I think there was physically more stuff just because back then, you know, toys weren't as expensive, weren't as expensive. And also, you know, you could buy more of them. So I think that was always why me and my sister had the quantity whereas nowadays you know at least for me and as far as like physical stuff i mean books would probably be the one for me but books are dead books are really expensive now i mean unless unless you go second hand but uh i think i think outside of the charity shops in london you'd be hard pressed to like get decent books in a charity shop so, uh, yeah, like, now we don't really have anywhere near as many presents. But, yeah, as, as kids, it was amazing. It was proper uh, magical. And also, like, my, my dad did the same thing with the Santa having been. We, we did do the, uh, we did the, the carrot, the carrot and, and mince pie. And, like, yeah, we'd, we'd come down the next day to see that, yeah, to see that uh, half the carrot had been had been bitten, <laughs> bitten off and a chunk had been taken he'd, up. He'd had, you know. he had, he'd had a, a partially sly break in yeah exactly yeah yeah someone had <laughs> we woke up the next day to learn that someone had indeed come into our house without our without our permission um yeah yeah no so that was always really nice and that you know i was thinking like why would they leave why would they leave presents though well, i do remember being on holiday once and we were just having a walk out and a, a man was driving his car quite fast and then sort of stopped put his brakes on quite suddenly and said oh do you want a present and i'm like no and he drove off and i think i'm pretty sure that would have been like cocaine smuggled in something oh i see which is like probably it might have been cocaine smuggled in a teddy bear or something that's the only way i can think do you want a present like something that's all wrapped up could be a crime but yeah christmas was uh (laughs) christmas was great at my house yeah (laughs) that's the point i keep trying to i keep fucking taking it away from christmas no no but that's Um, that's about my the end of my story really uh and then i think i think think, yeah the only other thing i'd add is that uh post opening the presents in the morning what would then happen is we'd probably have post post opening presents it would be uh have breakfast uh maybe have like a tiny bit of chocolate uh because again big thing at christmas was just loads of chocolate uh, and then what we used to do, uh, because my, my my dad's parents, my grandparents were were still alive then, we would go and see, we we'd go and see my dad's parents, and uh, actually I can't remember what we did first. I think first we might have eaten, we might have had Christmas dinner. Then I think after that we would then do the. Uh, the visit which would be go see my dad's parents and get get we oh man it was mental we'd go to my grandparents and get like the same amount of presents again it was it was insane like my grandparents my yeah my dad's parents used to really spoil us we go hang out there for a bit and then then we would also go and visit my mum's parents and again similar thing pick up pick up more presents and maybe see more family family members so I think the top tip here for having a magical Christmas is be a child. Yeah, ba- basically, yeah, because I've, I've uh, taken a slightly grimmer turn. Like, I, I really, really struggle with Christmas now. Uh, but I think it's more just because of, like, 
my own personal circumstances at the moment like for i mean for me in my in my own life like for the past few years i mean like things haven't been great so i tend to struggle with christmas a bit more because when christmas rolls around there's so much pressure on on you know from everyone around you to like be really really happy uh and yeah i i i always felt that but then i think i think in recent years if anyone does say that we you kind of have to sort of like sort of take a deep breath and kind of go you know remember that it is still life is still going on and as you know as much as you could celebrate christmas it's like you don't don't you're not you're not superheroes here it's like you know be grateful for what is available and i think that's certainly the, the attitude we've taken particularly recently when like my mum's been out of work for quite a while so i mean she's luckily she's got like a private pension that she can take out early but like it's still you know it's still not as uh lavish as we maybe were used to but i mean we're all adults now in the house we can chip in our own things i think all of us are going to be cooking a major thing like one of us will take care of the christmas eve major christmas dinner i'll take care of the curries my younger sister will take care of puddings and so yeah we're at that. that's the privilege of being older i guess like we're at that point where we can chip in it's not like at that weird teenage bit where you can kind of see the stress is coming in yeah and yet you know that you're kind of part of it and you still kind of want christmas to happen i don't know i don't want to poo poo christmas because i i have done that for a long time and it doesn't really help it doesn't help anyone who struggles with christmas anyway and it doesn't help those who love christmas to begin with so but i think the only thing i will say and i'm sure I've, I've probably said something similar already is that you know like you know it is meant to be a holiday do relax and like don't let it stress you out or, or try not to as well because like you know it, you could say this at about any point it's ultimately like you know in the most cases your family does love you and they don't normally mean wrong by you and i know there's probably circumstances which they might unfortunate circumstances which they might do but like in a sense have that have a bit of humility about yourself in a way and kind of don't don't expect perfection of others or yourself really i think that's, that's good for general generally but i think particularly around this time of year that that's me not poo-pooing christmas yeah i hope that was i hope that was sufficient shall we call it because uh, i think this episode is a particular bumper one. Oh yeah almost certainly i'll say that's uh hopefully this is definitely the uh the christmas the christmas special that you uh that you always dreamed of having it is actually i feel like it's it's a Christmas special where it takes lots of different turns, mostly because I keep going off on tangents. But it's one where it's not it's it's the equivalent of those Christmas songs that we said we liked. It's the ones where they are a medium to tell different stories. You know what I mean? So I feel that sort of dovetailed quite nicely at the end, just because I forced it to. <laughs> nice. All right then. I'm sure I'll speak to you before christmas at least we'll, we might have a producers meeting i don't know yeah definitely i think we're overdue for one probably have you got but your uh, to... have you got your robe the robe for the, for the producers meeting you know we all need to wear the robes and the hoods and go under and go underground uh i thought it was just the producer wearing the robe just to be more concealed i thought we were fine no we've got to wear robes now when you say robes can it be any robe uh, yeah, I don't think you'd be too bothered if, like, you can't find your, cerem- your ceremonial ones. I think if you wear a... Oh, so there are, there are ceremonial robes. So I asked, are any robes fine? And what you said was, yeah, but if you can't find your ceremonial ones. That tells me 
it's not really fine because I'm meant to have ceremonial ones. So I've, I've, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just getting defensive because I'm clearly in the wrong here for not having washed my robe. Because I know, I know it's going to be over like Discord or whatever. But do you know what I mean? I don't want to turn up to Discord with a dirty robe. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I know it's like again, like I know you can do Discord calls in your pajamas, and I frequently do, but. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, that's probably more insulting to turn up with a dirty robe than none at all. Because at least, like, if I don't have the robe, I can say I'm respecting it somewhere else. I don't know. Again, I'm just getting defensive because I've clearly not prepared for this. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Happy holidays to all 24 of you listening. <laughs>